Last week, we began a new five-part sermon series entitled Mission Unstoppable, Lessons from Matthew's Gospel. Over the next several weeks, we will highlight our 41-word mission statement, which is found in your bulletin and on the screen behind me. First Baptist Church, Pelham, is a Christ-centered faith family that exists to make disciples for a global impact by enjoying God through worship and prayer, by equipping disciples through teaching and serving, and by engaging the world through missions and evangelism. Each week we will examine one of those key phrases. Last week we defined what it is to be a Christ-centered faith family. Today I want us to focus our attention upon making disciples for a global impact. For several years now I have adopted, borrowed, otherwise stolen the definition of disciple from John MacArthur. John MacArthur says a disciple is a lifelong believing learner of Christ that we are to be lifelong believing learners of Christ and we are to make lifelong believing learners of Christ. In our story this morning, I think that Jesus will tell us that disciple making is a two-step process. That to be a disciple is one who receives the word and puts it into practice. We must receive the word of God and we must put it into practice. Our story comes from Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13 is the third of five teaching passages in Matthew's gospel. Matthew arranges his gospel around these five teaching passages. The first one is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount. The second one is Matthew chapter 10. The third teaching passage is here in Matthew chapter 13. The fourth one is Matthew chapter 18. And the fifth and final one is the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapters 23 through 25. Here at the very heart of his teaching ministry, Jesus gives his parabolic discourse. The reason it's called a parabolic discourse is because here in chapter 13, there are seven parables of Jesus. A parable is a compound Greek word. It's para and balo. Para means alongside. Balo means to throw. So routinely, Jesus would throw a story along real life so that we could have a heavenly truth that's couched in an earthly meaning. And so here, this morning, I want us to focus on the first of those seven parables of Matthew chapter 13. It is the first one, and it is the longest one. And so I invite you to take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 13. I'll read the first 23 verses in your hearing. And once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Matthew chapter 13, allow me to begin at verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. When the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. 
This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see but did not see it. And to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short while. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word, understands it, produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, thirty times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. You may be seated. I have been preaching for 30 years. I started when I was four. (laughs) Over those last three decades, I've learned a couple of things about preaching. For example, I've learned the value of a well-crafted introduction, the necessity of effective transitions within the body of the sermon, the demand for a powerful conclusion, the need for clarity when it comes to takeaway in the sermon and the unequivocal uh, necessity that every sermon be rooted and grounded in the word of God. But I must confess this morning there are some things about preachings I just don't understand. For example, I don't understand why some people get it and other people don't. People hear the same sermon, they sit through the same worship services, and some people receive it and other people don't receive it. You may have two individuals who have heard the same sermons for the last 20 years and one person is growing in their faith and the other person has been spiritually unchanged for the better part of a decade. A married couple may sit arm in arm week after week, month after month, year after year and the husband kind of rejects the gospel but the wife soaks it up in her life and she adheres to the truth of the proclamation. You can have four teenagers that sit on the sanctuary shelf for six years. And sometimes they sit in a row, the same row, every single time. And they can graduate after those six years and be on four different spiritual planes. My question this morning is, how can that be? Individuals hear the same sermon from the same preacher week in and week out. And some people get it and other people don't. I don't think this is just a personal dilemma that I have as a preacher of the gospel. I think that every preacher wrestles with this. For the call of preaching is a call for clarity. Every preacher wants to be clear, to clearly communicate what God's word says and what God expects from us. Every preacher wants to be clear, but clearly we're not as clear as we hope to be. 
This is not just a problem of a personal dilemma. It's not just something that strikes every contemporary preacher. I even think that Jesus understood this reality. Take for consideration the sermon I just read for you. At this time of his ministry, Jesus was a quick upstart. He was rather famous. He always attracted a large crowd. On this particular day, the crowd was so large that Matthew tells us that he turned a boat into an aquatic pulpit. I'm sure that on the shore, there were people that were just crazy about Jesus. They had their JC swag. They had their hats, their bandanas, their bumper stickers, their bracelets, their t-shirts. They had everything going on because they were just proud and excited to be associated and close to Jesus. On this day, the crowd was so large that Jesus got into a boat, turned it around, and stared at the crowd. Perhaps in the background, he saw a farmer sowing seed. And Jesus took note of the burlap sack that was slung across his shoulders. Jesus watched as the farmer reached into that sack and pulled out a handful of seed. And he rhythmically scattered it everywhere. It wasn't like he meticulously placed the seed and planted it in the ground. No, this farmer, he just scattered the seed all over the field. And Jesus used that image as a springboard into his message. Jesus said a farmer went out to sow seed. Some of the seed fell along the hard path. The birds came and they devoured the seed. Other seed, it fell on rocky soil. It immediately sprang to life. Uh, but because it was shallow without a root system, when the plant uh, came up uh, through the ground, it was scorched by the hot Israeli sun. There was other seed that fell among thorny soil. And it sprung to life, but so did all the thorns and the thistles. And those thorns choked the life out of that seed. And still other seed fell on good soil. The seed found a good home in good soil. Now every Palestinian farmer expected that what was harvested would be at least ten times what was sown. But Jesus said that this seed that lands in good soil yields a hundred times, sixty times, thirty times what was sown. And then Jesus said his famous tagline, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that was it. That's the end of the sermon. Now listen, friends, I've been told for 30 years there's no such thing as a bad short sermon. But give me a break. I mean, that sermon takes about two minutes to read and maybe two and a half minutes to preach. I mean, that is one short sermon. And if the goal of preaching is clarity, I promise you that people walked away in a fog of confusion. There's probably more than one person who walked away saying, hey, what was that all about? I mean, why is the preacher telling us how to farm? Preachers don't know much anyway. They need to stick to the task of preaching the scripture. Yet this rabbi, this rabbi from Galilee, he's giving us agricultural tips. Everybody knows that a farmer scatters his seed in order to grow a field. And this Jesus, he's, he's talking about different types of soil. Is he telling us that we need to have soil analysis before we go out and plant? I mean, we know the different types of soil. Is he trying to peddle some powerful kind of seed? Because according to his sermon, his seed, what he can give, will give 160, 30 times what was sown, which is far greater than any Palestinian farmer can get from his field. What's he trying to sell us? What's he trying to do? Why is he communicating about 
farming. He's a preacher for crying out loud. He doesn't know much. He just needs to stick to the text. And people walked away in a cloud of confusion. They said, I don't know what everybody's talking about. I mean, he preaches a short message, and that's pretty good. But other than that, we don't know what in the world he's talking about. Even his closest friends didn't understand. His disciples came up to him and they said, hey, Jesus, what was that all about? You know, the seed and the soil. (laughs) Why do you talk to people in parables? And Jesus begins his explanation by giving a defense of why he speaks in parables. He quotes from the great prophet Isaiah Chapter 6, verse 9, I believe it is, when it reads that those seeing, they do not see, and though hearing, they do not understand. Jesus went on to quote Isaiah further, saying that this generation has a calloused heart. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't really hear. For if they saw with their eyes and heard with their ears and understood with their hearts, then they would repent, they would turn, and I would heal them. Jesus is quoting from that great prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was Israel's preacher some 700 years before the coming of Christ. In the midst of a national catastrophe, Isaiah had a vision of the Lord. We are told in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. High and exalted, the train of his robe filled the temple. The whole temple was full of smoke. The doorposts and thresholds shook. And Isaiah said to himself, woe is me. I am undone, I am ruined. My eyes have seen the king. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. And the Lord, in this great vision, responded by commanding one of those six-winged angels called a seraph to go take a live coal from the altar of God. The altar of God was that place of forgiveness and sacrifice. The live coal being on fire, representing purity. And the angel came and took that live coal, that purification object from the very altar of God, the place of forgiveness from God. And he took it and touched Isaiah's lips, which was the place that Isaiah was most aware of his sinfulness. And the Lord said to Isaiah, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Friend, I want to tell you that when God forgives you, his forgiveness is full and free and forever. Did you hear what the Lord said to Isaiah? The Lord said to Isaiah, your guilt is taken away even before I cover over the dirty deed that you did. I've met many Christians who say, I know that God can forgive me, but I cannot forgive myself for what I've done. Friend, if that's you, can I take you right back to Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah chapter 6, the Lord says, I am so powerful, I am so uh, provisional that I can take care of your guilt and your shame even before I cover over or atone the effect of your dirty deed. And so what Isaiah is talking about is in the coming of Jesus because for us, we know that all of our sin has been covered by the blood of Christ so that we no longer endure condemnation we are forgiven and the forgiveness of God to Isaiah and to us is full and free and forever Isaiah is so excited 
Because he's seen the Lord and survived. He has seen God and lived to tell about it. And he knows that his sin, the raunchiness of his lips, the raunchiness of his life, because out of the overflow of the heart, the man speaks. So Isaiah knows that he is rotten from the inside out. And God has just forgiven him from the inside out. And God's forgiveness is full and free and forever. And then the Lord has a Trinitarian conversation. He has it loud enough. For Isaiah to hear it, the Lord says to himself, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And like a second grade boy, Isaiah jumps up and down as if he's got to go to the bathroom. He jumps up and down and says, hey, I know the answer. Send me, send me. Here I am. Send me. I want to go. I want to go because you made a message out of my mess. You made a testimony out of my test. You are one who have done, you've done a tremendous work in my life. I've got to tell somebody, here I am. Send me. And Isaiah is eager and exuberant to answer the call of God and to go. What follows is the Lord telling Isaiah, you're going to speak to a lot of people and a lot of people aren't going to get it. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear. Isaiah, don't be discouraged. You're going to go preach to the masses. And there'll be many people who will reject you and reject your message. They won't turn to God. They'll turn away from God. Their heart won't be broken. It'll be more calloused. But Isaiah, don't be discouraged. I want you to know that you're going to go out and you're going to preach. You're going to scatter the seed. You are going to go and proclaim the message of the Lord. And those seeing, they do not see. And though hearing, they do not understand. Jesus adopts that same verse to his ministry. He says to his disciples, I speak in parables. I go and I attract a large crowd and they see me, but they don't really see me. They hear me, but they don't really hear me. They see me as a redneck rabbi from Galilee. They don't see me as the very son of God who stepped out of heaven and stepped into earth, as God wrapped in flesh. They hear my words, but they don't really understand my words. They hear the word, but they don't hear the word from the word. They don't really understand the message of life that I am giving to them. They see, but they don't see. They hear, but they don't understand. I speak in parables, Jesus said, because only those who really see and understand get it. And if you get it, it reveals that you are one of mine, and I came to seek and to save you. Now, if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, it sounds like God doesn't want people to get it. God doesn't want people to understand. I mean, a lot of people will see, but they won't see. A lot of people will hear, but they won't perceive. They won't understand. It sounds as if God doesn't want people to get it. And friend, if that was true, then all God would have to do is nothing. And we would continue to live and die in our condemnation. If God didn't want us to be saved, if he didn't want us to get it, if he didn't want us to have insight, all God had to do was nothing. But because of his compassion, he did something. And the something that God did 
is that he gave the crown jewel of heaven, Jesus Christ. Jesus stepped out of heaven, stepped into earth to seek and to save the lost. He came to open up eyes to see, open up hearts to receive, open up ears to understand. And those who turn and are chosen, choose Christ, are chosen by him, and he heals them. Jesus came so that the blind could see and the deaf could hear. Listen, I know that there are a lot of people that don't get it. There are a lot of people outside the church, even some people inside the church, and they just don't get it. They don't understand who Jesus is and and what he uh, stood for and, and the teachings that he gave. And there are many that are blind, but not everybody's blind. There are many who are deaf, but not everybody's deaf. Because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, to retrieve the remnant of God's people. Jesus gives a defense of parables to say, I'm doing this because I'm adopting the same verse for Isaiah's ministry as my ministry, though seeing they don't see, though hearing they don't perceive, they don't understand. But I understand, I know that some people will see and believe, and some people will hear and repent, and I've come for them. And then Jesus describes the parable. Most of the time, Jesus did not describe the parable. He told the story, he threw it alongside real life, he left it up to you to connect the dots. If you can't connect the dots, that's evidence that you're one of his. If you can't connect the dots, well, you may not be one of his. And so, on some occasions, he connects the dots for us, praise the Lord. On some occasions, he says, let me tell you the story, then let me tell you the meaning of the story. And really, this story is more like an allegory, where most of the things in the story have a significant meaning. He says that the seed that the farmer scatters is the word of God. The word of God is scattered by the preacher. It's thrown here, it's thrown there, it's thrown up there, it's thrown down here. That the preaching of God's word is scattered just like the farmer scatters the seed. Now when you consider that Jesus just compared the mighty word of God to a little bitty seed, some of us think to ourselves, I don't like that. I mean, we like the rough and tumble, macho images of the word of God. Jeremiah said that God's word is a hammer that breaks the rocks. We like that. We like to wield the hammer and break the hard heart. And we like the image that God's word cannot be stopped. It cannot be thwarted. And like Thor, it can, it's a hammer that can crash through anything. We like that perspective. And then we also get the picture from the Gospel of John, that the Word of God is a consuming fire. And that fire is imagery, once again, of purification. And we like the idea that God's Word is a consuming fire, that it consumes everything in its path, that nothing can withstand the Word of God. We also like the imagery of the author of the Hebrew letter. He said the Word of God is a sharp, double-edged sword. It divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Oh, we like that. 
that military, macho, show them who's boss kind of image. We like when God flexes his muscles, don't we? We like when God stands up, shows up, and shows off. We like when God says nothing is going to stand in my way. I'm a hammer. I'm a consuming fire. I'm a double-edged sword. And the word that comes from my mouth will effectively do everything I call it to do. We like those images. But here Jesus says that the word of God is a little bitty seed. It's so small. It's so fragile. Seemingly insignificant. But it packs a lot of potential life, doesn't it? And if it lands in the right spot, it will explode with growth. Jesus said the seed is the word of God. The four different types of soil. It's not four different types of earth. It's four different types of people. More specifically, it's four different types of listeners. How you listen to the word of God. How you receive the preaching of the word of God. Reveals a great deal about its powerful effectiveness in your life. There's some people who don't listen well. Other people who listen aggressively and attentively. And how we listen to the word of God, whether we're reading it in our quiet time, whether we're hearing it proclaimed by the preacher of the gospel, how we receive the word of God, how we listen to the word of God reveals with great effectiveness, how powerful that word will be in our life. Jesus said, uh, some people are like the hard soil. It's the soil along the path. It's a person that is cold and calloused, hard-hearted. The seed, it falls upon them, and it bounces right away. It bounces off of them as if they were as hard as concrete. Their spiritual life is as formidable as asphalt in the church parking lot. They're hard, cold, calloused. Now, how'd the person get that way? Well, maybe they're just angry. I mean, maybe they're angry because something happened this morning, an argument on the way to church. Maybe they're angry because of harbored bitterness, they have jealousy towards somebody else or somebody else wronged them and, and, and they have never asked for forgiveness and, and they just harbored that resentment and it's made them cold and callous. Maybe, maybe they're hard-hearted because they're angry at God because of a perceived injustice. That God did not act the way they wanted God to act. He didn't intervene as quickly as they wanted him to intervene. He didn't answer their prayer. And now they don't even know if they're going to ever pray again. It's a person who's hard, cold, calloused. This person um, comes in and they hear the word. But I don't even know if it goes in one ear and out the other. I think it just bounces right off of them. If it rests on their shoulder, if it rests on the top of their head, if it rests on the door of their heart, they're not going to open their mind. They're not going to open their heart. They're cold, angry, 
hard-hearted. And Jesus said, it's the, the devil, the bird, swoops in and takes the seed away. So it has absolutely no powerful effectiveness upon their life. Friend, let me ask you, are you hard soil? Are you a person, let's just be honest, you're angry today. You're frustrated today. You're, you're calloused today. And it doesn't matter what the preacher says, you're really not even listening. I mean, at best, you're looking at your Apple Watch wondering, when is he going to be done? I mean, Jesus preached a short sermon. Pastor, why don't you preach a short sermon? Maybe that's what you're thinking. You're, you're just hard to the word. The word is scattered, but it bounces right off. Are you a hard soil listener? Jesus said that some of the seed, some of the word of God, it fell on rocky soil. This is the person who hears the word, receives it with joy, Jesus said. This is the person who says, you know what? I hear what the preacher is saying. I'm picking up what he's putting down. I understand what I need to do. I know what I need to stop doing. I know what I need to start doing. This is the person who makes decisions for the Lord. This is the person who has great intentions, but they have terrible follow-through. They have great intentions. They want to do the right thing. They make good decisions in the moment of the preaching of the word. They receive it with joy. They have every intention of walking out a changed life. And they do well until persecution comes. They're doing all right until the intensity of the culture is ramped up. They do all right until they experience peer pressure. And when they experience peer pressure, they buckle underneath it. They're doing all right until they endure some type of suffering. And they don't want to suffer. A person who just doesn't want to suffer. And because of the suffering, their growth is stifled. Snuffed out, in fact. Jesus says it's the heat of persecution like the sun in the sky that withers the plant because it has no depth. There's no root system. It doesn't go deep because a thin inch under the topsoil, there's hard rock. And this is not an imagery where Jesus elsewhere will say, you need to build your life upon the rock. No, this rock is not a good thing. It's a bad thing. It, it keeps from growth. It's a person who wants to do the right thing. But because of trials, because of tragedy, because of persecution, because of problems, they buckle under the pressure, they're stifled because of the suffering, and they wither away. Friend, are you a, uh, a rocky soil listener? Which means that you hear the word of God, you receive it, but it's only for a short time. I mean, you remember it Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon, but by the time it gets to Sunday night, you just forget completely what Jesus said in his word. This is the person who is kind of in one ear, out the other. They, they have good intentions, but really bad follow-through. Are you a, a rocky soil listener? Still, some seed, Jesus said, the word of God falls upon thorny soil. This is a person who receives the word, they embrace it, they receive it uh, with joy and abundantly, and it springs to life, 
but right beside the growing word are the thorns and thistles of the culture. In this passage and in other descriptions of this passage, those thorns are described as the worries of life, the pursuit of worldly wealth, the pleasures of this world. This is a person who's in thorny soil. This is a person who's not opposed to God. They're just not obsessed with God. It's not that that individual is opposed to God or opposed to his word, but listen, life is busy. There are a lot of things that grab for your attention and your affection. So this is a person who's not opposed to God, but not really obsessed with God either. So Jesus says the thorns grow and choke out the life of that fruit-bearing seed. So the worries of life consume you. You're consumed by worrying about your family and your finances, about your past and your present and, and even your future. You worry about uh, health concerns, about cancer, about COVID. You worry about getting that promotion at work, being able to retire early and enjoy the leisure of that retirement. Your spiritual life rises and falls like the New York Stock Exchange. Not only are you worried, but, but also you're, you're consumed with the pleasures of life. So you also, in addition to thinking about Jesus and thinking about his word, you're also thinking about what is the next family vacation going to be? And you live vicariously through Junior's 63-game ball schedule. And you're consumed with climbing the next rung of the corporate ladder. It's these things that choke out the fruit-bearing seed of the Word of God in your life. It's not that you don't like God. It's just you're not obsessed with God. It's a person um, who knows the truth but doesn't live out the truth. And one of the most dangerous places to be is to have unlived truth in your life. This is a person um, who wants to do the right thing, but everything else clouds their perspective and chokes out God's word in them. So that, this is the person who says, you know, uh, i got to be honest with you, most of my spirituality is relegated to what happens maybe uh, once or twice a month on Sunday morning when I come to church. And that's about it. That's about all of God and his word that I really get. Jesus said there's a fourth type of listener. This is a person who's like good soil. This person has a noble, good heart. They hear the word, they receive it, they retain it. And by persevering, they produce a bumper crop. It's not just 10 times what was sown. That's 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold. I find it uh, very encouraging that Jesus doesn't hold us to the same rate. I mean, he doesn't say all of you got to produce 100-fold. No, he says somebody's going to produce 100-fold. Somebody else 60. Somebody else 30. It's not that he compares you to me or him to her. No, he says this is what I want 
you to do in your life to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. This is the fruitfulness that you need to produce in your life as you receive the word of truth. The person who's the good soil understands what the late great Had Robinson said when he would tell us that preaching is not only on the lips of the preacher, it's also on the ears of the hearer. Jesus said, be careful how you listen. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. How we hear the word, it describes, it reveals the powerful effectiveness of the word in our life. A disciple is a lifelong believing learner of Christ. Jesus is teaching us from this passage that a disciple is one who receives the word and puts it into practice. Once again, you get this imagery that Jesus expects people in his kingdom to bear much fruit. That in this illustration, in this sermon, there's only one type of person that was bearing fruit. It was the good soil. Now, a couple of the other ones had good intentions, but they didn't produce anything. Jesus is not advocating a works-based salvation, but he is saying, if you have the root, you will produce its fruit. That if your life is rooted in Christ, you will produce the fruit of obedience. And last week, we itemized what that fruit could be. And yes, fruit does relate to loot, but it also describes our good deeds that we do, the character by which we live. It describes evangelistic conversions of our heart, among other things, that Jesus wants us to produce this good fruit as evidence that we are in his kingdom. The good fruit does not earn salvation, but it proves that you really are saved. So, Elsewhere, Jesus was told one day, your, uh, your mother and your brothers are here. They're looking for you. And Jesus said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And looking at his disciples, he said, here is my mother and my brothers. Those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Jesus is giving us a lesson on disciple making. And for him, discipleship is twofold. It is receiving the word and putting it into practice. Friend, you can be as close to God as you want to be. You can be as great of a disciple as you want to be. You can be as obedient as you want to be. The one person on earth most responsible for your discipleship is the person seated between the individual on your right and on your left. It's you. You can be as close to God as you want to be. You can be a disciple with a global impact. What does that mean? How do I do that? You receive the word and you put it into practice. Whatever truth, whatever insight God has given you, He's given it to you so that you may apply it in your life. If you're not applying the truth of God, then why would he give you any more? If you're not going to apply the truth he's given you, then why would he give you any more truth? This is why he said, the one who receives it is given more in abundance. The one who does not receive it, even what the insight he thinks he has, is taken from him. Because how you receive the word 
how you listen to the word. And how you put it into practice reveals the effectiveness of that word in your life. So quickly this morning, let me ask you, what kind of disciple are you? I'll ask it another way. What kind of listener are you? I'll ask it a third way. What type of soil are you? Are you hard soil? Rocky soil? Thorny soil? Good soil. You don't have to do a show of hands. I'll go ahead and tell you what most of you are thinking. I'm good soil. I mean, I may not be the hundredfold variety, but I'm at least the 30-fold kind. I mean, I'm good soil. I'm, every, I'm here every week. I hear the word. I put it into practice. I am good soil. I am fruitful in my life. I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a disciple with a global impact. But here's the harsh reality. In this sermon, only 25% of the people got it. And probably in most churches, even most people listening to my voice today, probably only about 25% of us really get it either. Let me tell you the good news, though. The good news is this soil that you are, it's not how you were made, it's what you became. You weren't made hard soil. You weren't made thorny soil. You weren't made rocky soil, and you weren't made good soil. You weren't made that certain way, so you say, well, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just hard soil. I'll always be hard soil. I'm just thorny soil. I'll always be thorny soil. I just worry a lot about everything. I just can't help it. I am rocky soil. I'm just always shallow. I'm always going to be shallow. Oh, I'm good soil, and I'm always going to be good soil. No, it's not how you are made. It's what you become. And you become that type of soil by how you listen to the Word of God. So it's not necessarily how you were made, but it is what you've become. I dare say that for most of us, as we've listened to this sermon, we thought, you know, there have been times, there have been chapters, there have been seasons in my life when I've been hard and calloused. There have been other seasons when I've been so shallow I've been rocky soil. When persecution comes, I buckle under peer pressure. There have been other seasons of my life when I've been so consumed with everything else that I'm like the thorny soil. I, I care about God, but I'm not obsessed with God, and I worry about everything else, and I'm pursuing the riches of this world, and I'm concerned about life and other things in life. And then there have been other seasons, and maybe it's this season, where you're good soil. Listen, once again, you can be as close to God as you want to be. You can be as faithful to him as you want. You can be a disciple with a global impact. You say, Pastor, how do you do that? You receive the word and you put it into practice. You receive his word. You put it into practice. You receive his word and you put it into practice. I think that Jesus preached this um, while he was growing up. I think James got it. I mean, James, the brother of our Lord, James said, don't be hearers only. 
Be doers of the word. Don't just hear it, but do what it says. You receive his word and you put it into practice. I'm going to close with uh, one of those familiar little rhymes. Oh, be careful little ears how you hear. Be careful little ears how you hear. For the Father up above, he is looking down in love. So be careful little ears how you hear. How you hear the word of God reveals its power and effectiveness in your life. You've got to receive it, and you've got to put it into practice. In the words of Samuel, I want to say to the Lord, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. I want to be part of a church where we say what Samuel said, speak, Lord, we are listening. You can trust us with your word, we will obey. You can trust us with your instructions, we will do it. You can trust us with your presence, we will enjoy it. You can trust us with your very word, we will devour it. Oh God, speak, for your servants are listening. No longer are we to be hard soil, rocky soil, thorny soil, but we, by God's grace, are to be good soil. You, my friend, are to be a disciple with a global impact. So receive God's word and put it into practice. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. There just might be one person who entered today hard-hearted and calloused because of some experience or because of some injustice. And today they have heard that Jesus, you are the Savior and In this very moment, their hard heart has become good soil. Help them to come forward, to receive you by faith, to make it known to a watching world. Father, for other people, um, we've come in, uh, maybe not hard-hearted, but maybe we're just shallow. Maybe we're consumed with the things of this world. Lord, melt all that away. Help us to focus upon you. Help us to hear your word. Help us to put it into practice. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.